it will all end today. This is the last day of Jesus' life. Mark has ratcheted up the intensity in this gospel. We walked with Jesus through the garden and felt him plead to God, but we've seen him leave the Garden of Gethsemane with purpose. We've watched the, the trial spin out of control, and yet Jesus determinedly going toward the cross, and now here, in this trial before the, the Roman governor, we have this life and death moment. The only hope of rescue for Jesus, the only path that doesn't lead to the cross, is if there is a reprieve from this governor. Jesus is a dead man walking to his execution. And yet he doesn't plead for his life. And so as we, as we look at this passage, we see the charge that is brought against him. You heard the phrase again and again. Mark lets it echo for us. Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the king of God's chosen people. Now, when that phrase is, is applied to Jesus by the religious leaders, they're not doing so out of, out of homage to him. When it's, when it's applied it's by, by Pilate, he's not understanding the depth of what Jesus claims. When the soldiers mock Jesus, when the crowds cry to crucify him, they're ignoring the truth of what that means to declare Jesus to be the king of the Jews. And yet we'll see as we, as we walk through this passage, as we look at the, the responses of each of the the, the characters in the story to Jesus, the King of the Jews, what it means for us to acknowledge, to declare that Jesus is our King. So we see the, the, the chief priests, we see Pilate, we see the crowd, we see the soldiers, or if, if your ears long for something alliterated, we see the chief priests protecting their position. Pilate preserving his power, the, the crowds placing their preference and the soldiers performing his passion. Position, power, preference, and passion. First, notice what takes place in these, these opening verses. This is very early in the morning. The trial took place overnight. And now that, that daybreak has broken, the, the sentence can be declared. They can declare Jesus to be guilty. But what have the, the religious leaders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders of the people, what have they found Jesus guilty of? blasphemy, taking the name of God in vain, for he has called himself the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One. That's blasphemy, and blasphemy, according to, to Old Testament law, is punishable by death if Jesus really were guilty. And yet it's clearly not blasphemy if the one who declares himself to be the Son of God truly is the Son of God. But we, we have a problem. While for the religious leaders, Blasphemy is a, a punishment that, that could lead to death. Rome doesn't let them kill their own convicts because Rome wants to maintain control over its empire. And so only the, the governor, only Pilate can sentence Jesus to death. The problem is, what does Pilate care about blasphemy against the, the Jewish God? He has no concern over blasphemy. And so so you see that the, the chief priests protecting their position, what do they do? They want to maintain their religious authority, and so they take this theological claim. When Jesus says that he is the Son of Man, he is the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One, they, they take that theological claim, and they interpret it politically for Pilate. See, Pilate won't care if, if he's the Messiah. 
A Messiah is no threat to the empire, but one who would call himself the king of the Jews. One who would try and take the Jewish people out from under the rule of of the emperor, of, of the king of Caesar. Well, this one could be a problem. And think of it, there is already trouble in Jerusalem. There's a man in prison, Barabbas, who's been charged with insurrection. He's already been sentenced to death. The other two who will be crucified alongside Jesus, Luke tells us, are insurrectionists. And so maybe the religious leaders, to protect their position, think, if we can get this charge of blasphemy interpreted politically, then we could get Jesus thrown in with this next crop of executions. We can deal with the problem of Jesus. So we see them take Jesus. They, they bind him they, and lead him away and take him to Pilate. And notice the question. Look at verse 2. The question that, that, Jesus, or that Pilate asks Jesus. And this is the key question of this passage. For it's the phrase that we hear echoed again and again. Are you the king of the Jews? See, that's the accusation. He has called himself the Messiah. Therefore, let's interpret it for Pilate. He is the king of the of the Jews. Now, John's gospel will describe for us the the more lengthy conversation that Jesus has with Pilate about what his kingdom really looks like, that his kingdom is no threat to Rome at all. His kingdom is not of this world. But here, Mark, moving us very quickly toward the cross, summarizes Jesus's answer to that question in verse 2. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Now, with blood in the water, the the religious leaders begin to to pounce on this, throwing further accusations. Let's make sure this charge, this, this accusation leads to death. And so they begin piling on the accusations against Jesus so that Pilate will see how, how dangerous this man really is, that he must be put to death. In verse 4, Pilate again asks Jesus a question. Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. In verse 5, but Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. But notice with me here in this passage the the power of Pilate. He is the only one that that can condemn Jesus to death, which also means he is the one who could set Jesus free. He has that power. But will he use it? No. No, because what is he trying to do? He's trying to preserve his own power. He's trying to make sure that this situation works out to his advantage. And, and we're told uh, through, through historians, now they're Jewish historians writing about Pilate, that he brutally oppressed the people, that he was a, he was a violent man who, who, who made sure he had absolute control on this, on this province. So he has the power, he has the Roman army at his disposal. But, but he's not interested in justice here in any way. Because as, you, as we read through it, what does it seem that the Pilate thinks of, of Jesus? He's amazed by Jesus. Later on, he, he sees, look at verse 10, he sees that it's out of envy the chief priests are doing this. He doesn't see that, that, that Jesus is, is actually guilty of the, the charges that have been brought. And he asks in verse 14 that question, why? Why should Jesus be crucified? What crime has he committed? Do you, do you hear what he's saying? I, have, I, find there, I find no charge against him. And so Pilate has the power to set Jesus free. But in order to maintain, to preserve his own power, he will not use it. 
You see, he, he appears, as Mark is telling us the story, to be the one in the position of authority, but, but we see that it's really Jesus in the position of authority. Jesus' purposes will take place. Pilate, who has the power, won't use that power. Why? Because he's afraid of things spiraling out of control. If he uses his power to do the right thing, set an innocent man free, well, that might cause trouble for him. Because the religious leaders are stirring up this dissension. The crowds are crying for the crucifixion of Jesus. And so Pilate uses even this, this preference then of the crowd. The crowd demanding that Barabbas be set free. They, they come asking that the custom take place. It's a, it's a custom that each of the four gospel writers tell us about. We see it in other parts of the Roman world through, through history, where a, a, a man or a king or a governor in position of authority will use a, a pardon in order to carry favor with the crowds. And so he's willing to do that here. And so he gives the, the choice to the people. Will they set free a religious leader? Jesus, a good teacher. Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, the one in whom Pilate can find nothing of guilt. Will they set Jesus free? Or will the, the people demand that Barabbas, and, and what are the descriptions of Barabbas? He is in prison with the insurrectionists who committed murder. He is a violent murderer. Now, to be fair, he's probably only killed Romans to this point. So he's, he's the kind of guy, if you were a Jew watching, going to the movie theater in, in the first century, watching the story of Barabbas, you would have been cheering him on. I mean, he is, he is sort of a folk hero trying to throw off the, the oppressive powers of Rome. But he's a violent man. And we see the preference of the crowd. They, they choose Barabbas' freedom over Jesus's because they're being stirred up by the religious leaders. The religious leaders look at this problem. See, they're afraid they might, they might lose their power. They're trying to preserve their own positions. They're afraid they might lose their power, and they see the bigger threat is not the, not the murdering insurrectionist. Rome knows how to deal with that. You hang, you, 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 you capture those men, you use overwhelming force, you, you strip them naked, you hang them outside the city, and you kill them. That's how you deal with insurrectionists. But see, they can handle Barabbas, but the religious leaders, they don't know what to do with Jesus. And I think they actually rightly see Jesus as the greater threat. The greater threat to their own positions, their own privilege. And so the preference of the crowd is, th is that Barabbas will go free. Now, Pilate wants to make sure in order to carry favor that, that this doesn't spiral out of control. After he, he decides to kill Jesus, he wants to make sure that's what they really want to happen, what they want to have happen. When he asks them that question in, in verse 12, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? At this point, there are really only two options. Toss him in prison and, and, and throw away the key or kill him with the other insurrectionists, one who would claim to be king, one who is, is trying to overthrow Rome. Those are the only options. And what does the crowd do? What is the preference of the crowd? Crucify him, they shout. And so we see in verse 15, Pilate, I mean, the only reason you would, he would even use this custom of releasing a prisoner, prisoner is to carry favor with the crowd. And so wanting to satisfy the crowd, Mark tells us, Pilate released Barabbas to them. No, if you've spent time with me, you know I'm not somebody you want to have around in a medical emergency. 
because I don't do blood. I mean, I don't even do, I don't even do like blood on like recreated TV shows. I mean, I have to leave the room. My, my wife and I watched a movie recently and I left the room and she asked, are you still there? And I just waited until the awful scenes of destruction were done. So you don't really want me around. And so, so this is the point in the story at which I turn away. But it's not merely because I'm squeamish. I think this is the point in the story which all of us want to turn away. In verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers took whips and beat Jesus, tearing the flesh from his body. This man who came in beaten and battered, already weakened to this trial, is now going to be reduced to a pile of flesh. And that's what we see when, when we see the, the, the soldiers performing the passion of Jesus, mocking him in this, in this playful performance here. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace. And, and, we, and notice for, in verse 16 that as they have Jesus here, it's not a small group of people that gets involved in this. The whole company of the guard comes out. Now, this is a moment in any time that I, I would suspect when Roman soldiers had opportunity to take out their violence and vengeance against insurrectionists. They probably took great pleasure in it. But here, notice in the, the words of, the, of, 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 these, of these soldiers, they taunt Jesus in verse 18. Hail, King of the Jews! Here are these soldiers likely drawn from the surrounding regions. Here in this Jewish city during this festival, now they get to take out their hatred against all of the Jewish people, the chosen people of God. And so the crowd, the, the crowd forms around him, and they begin to beat Jesus. And notice, notice what takes place here. In verse 17, they, they take a purple robe, the, the robe of royalty, and they place it on Jesus. They give him a crown, for he is a king. He's the king of the Jews. And they weave together a crown of thorns and press it into his flesh. Jesus, with the victor's crown, he has won a victory. Look at him here. They put a staff in his hand. They, they take that rod and they beat him with it. Verse 19 tells us, again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. And then they fall on their knees in mock worship before this king. Hail, king of the Jews. Now as we go through this, we are meant to see the horror of what takes place. But we are also, by Mark, led through this to see the truth of what is being spoken. See, every time somebody brings an accusation against Jesus, they're meaning it in, a, in either a, a false or distorted way or in a mocking way, but every time they declare Jesus to be the king of the Jews, they are announcing what Mark has told us is true. This Jesus who stands before you is the king of the Jews. He is the king of God's chosen people, the one who, who draws the family of God from the nations of the earth in order to worship him. And, and you, and I, you and I are meant to see the absurdity of what takes place, the selfishness of the religious leaders, the, the pride of Pilate. But before we're too hard on them, I think we should notice that, that we act 
like the leaders. We act like Pilate. We act like the crowds. We act like the soldiers. Like the chief priests, the religious leaders, you and I want to, we want to position ourselves and, and preserve our own positions. We want to, we're okay with Jesus, even, even calling him a king, as long as that lets us keep him under control. As long as Jesus actually doesn't demand much of me. I had a conversation this week with a, with a good friend, a friend with whom I've shared the gospel over the years. And he told me, he said, he said, I'm intrigued by Christianity. He heard it growing up. And, and I, and I, I want to believe in Jesus because I, you know, I think the end result is a good thing, you know, heaven with, with Jesus. But then I don't want to believe in Jesus because if I had to declare him to be the king, I think it means he would have control over my life now. And I'm kind of having fun doing it my way. See, that might be the way you and I are living. We're okay with Jesus as long as he gives us what we want. But as soon as Jesus is declared to be the king of the Jews, the king over our lives, then we, we brush away from that. Or like Pilate, we're, we're working to, to preserve our own power, our own, our own position, our own prestige. And yet we see that power slip through our hands. It's, it's something we can't hold on to. The, the harder we try and grasp at that power, the, the quicker it flees from us. Because Pilate is left powerless in this passage. He can't act for the cause of justice or he might lose everything. If things spiral out of control here, if he loses the city what, with all of these pilgrims here, if he has to bring in his armies, it will create a bloodbath and the, emp- the emperor will not be happy. There is no chance of getting out of this province and moving to a province closer to Rome if things spiral out of control here. And so the one that appears to have the power is really powerless. And you and I will trade our lives for positions of power, claiming some sort of control over life, but then we watch it slip through our fingers. Or we hear in the preference of the crowds them crying out to crucify Jesus. We hear in that the good news of the gospel. I mean, think of it. What are they asking for? The condemned, guilty criminal should go free. And in his place will die the innocent and righteous one. I mean, don't you hear the gospel there? I mean, this is why Jesus came. And he told his disciples, this is back in the middle of Mark's gospel, Mark 8, verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed. Did you hear it? He must suffer. It is necessary for him to suffer. Because that is the gospel. And so what do the crowds cry out? They want Barabbas set free. Well, Matthew tells us that Barabbas has a first name. It's Jesus. Now, Mark doesn't use that first name because it might confuse us. Because we, when you hear the name Jesus, you think of the one Jesus. But if you grew up in Jesus' day and age, if, if you were Jesus' mother Mary and calling him in for dinner, you had to be careful if you yelled out into the street, Jesus, it's time to come in. You might get a whole row of little boys in your town. One of the most common names in the first century. It's the Old Testament name Joshua, a name that means God saves, and so it was a name given to to little boys. And so Jesus, Barabbas, the insurrectionist. And again, we think of Barabbas as his name, but, but that is also a description. Bar means son, 
He is the son of Abba, the son of the Father. Who is Jesus, the son of the Father? I mean, that's what what Mark has let us see is, is true of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the blessed one. He is the one who in the garden cries out, Abba, Father. And so the crowds want, want Jesus Barabbas set free so that Jesus, the Son of God, will die in his place. See, that is the good news of the gospel. Think of the way that Peter, Peter, the one who has already abandoned Jesus here, but Peter will later describe this. After seeing the resurrection, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 will describe the good news of the gospel, that the guilty dies or the innocent dies in the place of the guilty, that the guilty might go free. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Did you hear that? Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous died for the unrighteous. And so when the, when, the, when the preference of the crowds is given to them, that Barabbas, the guilty, would go free, then you and I are seeing the, the good news of the gospel. You and I are the guilty. You and I are the ones who, who with the soldiers, would have mocked Jesus because that is what, that's the definition of sin, is to, is to mock God, to rebel against God, to turn from God, to, to distort the truth of the world in which we live and live our own way. And yet it is here that we see the good news of the gospel. The chief priests are trying to protect their position, but Jesus is the one with absolute authority. He is the one in the preeminent place. He is, as they declare, the king of the Jews. Pilate is, lets the, the power slip through his hands, but, but Jesus is the one with absolute power. The one who will answer the claim, yes, I am the Son of God. Yes, I am the Christ, the Messiah. Yes, I am the Son of the Blessed One. He is the one with absolute power. Remember, he told his disciples in the garden, we see this in the other Gospels, that, that, that he is not powerless. He, he says, Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know that, that I have at my disposal legions of angels, the warriors of heaven? Jesus is the one with the power. The preference of the crowd puts the, the innocent man in the place of the guilty. The innocent man, Jesus, will die so that the guilty might go free. And in the mocking display of the soldiers, we see the truth of the gospel. In this pitiable scene of Jesus whose body is broken, whose blood is already being poured out, he is the king of of the Jews. He is the one who deserves the robes of royalty, who deserves the crowns of heaven. He is the one who wields the scepter of God's sovereign power and authority. He is the one before whom every knee will bow and declare him to be the Lord of the universe. And so you and I, in the mocking cries of the crowds, in the mocking jeers of the soldiers, are meant to see the truth you and I are meant to lift our voices, giving praise to God that, that God would allow Jesus to be crucified. And yet ours isn't a taunt of anger, crucify him, but a song of praise that he was crucified. 
Ours isn't a taunting cheer, hail the king of the Jews, but a song of worship. Hail Jesus, the king of the Jews. You and I must lift our voices and see the truth of this gospel message. Jesus is the king of God's chosen people. Jesus is the king who reigns with all power and authority. And so we should shout, hail the king of the Jews. Hail the king who would die in my place. Hail the lamb of God who was the sacrifice for my sins. Hail King Jesus, my savior. Let me pray for us as we come to this table and celebrate the sacrifice of the king. Father in heaven, your word is powerful for your spirit is active. And Lord, I pray that that your power would be at work in our hearts for those who have listened to your word without faith, who have never acknowledged Jesus to be the king who has absolute authority over us. Lord, even now, let them turn from sin and turn and declare Jesus to be the king. And yet, Lord, even in this passage, we have seen our own brokenness, even we who who have declared Jesus to be our Lord. And so let us turn from sin and turn with with confidence in the gospel that Jesus, the righteous one, died in my place. For I am unrighteous, and yet through his death, I have been welcomed into your family. Lord, let that be the the motivating factor for our hearts and our lives. Lord, we come rejoicing in the work of Jesus Christ. Amen.